Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. I'll be reading the 100th Psalm. It's taken from the New King James Version. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. I cannot tell you how glad I am to see you. We've been looking forward to our Friends Day for a long time now, and we have an auditorium that has many, many visitors to our assembly. We're glad to have you. Already, I know that you have formed a lot of your first impressions. I hope they're positive. Our goal is that this is going to be an extremely friendly church and that you'll find it that way. In fact, What we like to say around here is that when a couple comes to worship here and as they're leaving, we want uh, the husband or the wife to say to the other one, I believe that's the friendliest church I've ever seen. We, We are glad that you're here. Now, what I want to talk about in the next few minutes is, is a list of seven points that I think I would like to know if I were visiting a church for the first time. So, sat down and worked on this list. The Church of Christ at West Huntsville has been in existence for 120 years. When I, when I became the preacher here, we were having our, our century mark, and the church has been meeting in buildings, I think four different buildings uh, over the last, the last century, a little over a century. And I, I'm glad about that. I'm proud of that. Seven things. Here we go. Let's put up the first one. This is a church, and this won't surprise you, that has a genuine faith in one true God. Now, we're very serious about that. That, that is something, of course, you would assume. Had somebody come to preach last Wednesday, and I did a terrific job, but in the, in the course of his lesson, he made the observation, illustration, that he, he liked to record ball games so that he could watch them later. And he didn't know how the outcome would be. And he said, sometimes when I get to sit down and watch it, this is a real nail-biter, has something to do with the championship. And so I'm really interested in this, and I'm very nervous about it. And I thought to myself, and I don't, his illustration was about something else, but it occurred to me that that, that ball game's already been played. It, it's already recorded. I mean, what's going to happen is going to happen. He has no control over that. And the fact that he's nervous about it, I think is kind of funny because the end has already happened. We serve a God who is omniscient. You read through Scripture of the prophecies of the Bible. 
And God knows the future as well as he knows the past. He's omniscient and omnipresent, omnipotent. When we talk about God, we around here, we really believe that he exists. And that our job is to serve him. Our lives are meant to be a testing ground to determine whether or not we'll serve him. Romans 8 and 28 You know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. One of my favorite Old Testament passages is Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23. And he says that his mercies are new, compassions are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. I like that because it's talking about ultimately what we have. What do you have in, in this life? Ultimately. Well, here it is. If you're in Christ, if you're a servant of the Almighty God, well, what you have is God. Really, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. And so you're in a place today where people truly believe that God exists. I mean, they really do. And they place their hope in him. Now, here's number two. This is a church that holds that the Bible is God's truth. It is the ultimate truth. Now, truth is very important to me. How would you define truth? Truth, truth means reality. Truth is what is real. There is no truth greater than the Word of God. Now, when you talk about the contrast between Satan and Jesus, this is really important because John 8 and 44 says that Satan is a liar and he's the father of lies. And when people lie, they're doing something after, after Satan. But Jesus doesn't lie and he always tells the truth to the degree that John 14 and verse 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He is the epitome of truth. Now, in this church, we, we don't just talk about the Bible. We, we really believe that it's a pattern. It's not merely a book that we use for a, for a devotional talk at night before we go to sleep, even though it's good for that too. We view the Bible as our illumination, the pathway to going to heaven. And so when we preach the Bible from the pulpit, and we do it every time, it's because we want to know what he says. In reference to our worship and what we do in our worship, we believe that the New Testament is a pattern. So we go back and we want to be what the New Testament church was, and we want to restore that. So we go back and find out how they did something. And there may be some things around you right now, if this is the first time you've been introduced to the church of Christ, that you find to be unusual. I would assume that would be true. And probably the first one is that we have congregational a cappella singing. I hope you like that. I hope you found that pleasing. Uh, we, we don't do that simply because we prefer it that way. We do it because when you go to the New Testament, that's how they did it. Colossians 3 and verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. What they did was to sing and they sang to one another like we did this morning and everybody sang and Some of us aren't very talented at it, but that doesn't really matter. What matters is that that's what God wants to hear. And so what we did this morning is very, very old. It is as old as the New Testament church. It's as old as your New Testament. This is just how they did it. And so we know they were pleasing to God. And so that's what we do. And there are other things that we do, and you'll learn more about those things. But there are things that we do simply for the same principle. The same reason is that we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, that it is our guidebook, and we hold to the Bible as God's truth. I communicate to him with prayer. He communicates to me with the Bible. 
Now, I'll make you this promise. I hope you, I hope you want to come back sometime after you worship here with us today. I hope you do. But I'll make you this promise. Every time you come here, you'll hear a Bible lesson every single time. Number three, what I want you to know about this church is that it's made up of people who are united in Christ. Now, take that statement seriously. That's very important. In John 13 and verse 35, Jesus said, here's a way that people will know that you're my disciples. Now, what do you suppose that would be? Well, I I think there would be a lot of different things you could put in the blank about what would make people identify us as his disciples. But in this case, what he said is that you love one another. Now, there's something here that ties us together. And I think that's remarkable because you look around this room, and the fact is that we're very, very diverse. We have people here who are from various different nations. We have different skin pigmentations. We have different economic levels or educational levels. We came from different places in the country or out of the country. Sometimes, I mean, we have some people here who are very, who have a very high IQ. I would not be one of those. And then we have people that are normal people like me. And yet, our, our faith in Jesus Christ transcends all of that. Now, I'm not, it's not just preacher talk. I'm telling you, this is, this is real. This is real. We, uh, we need one another. And what is the prerequisite for being part of this family is that we love Jesus Christ and we're set out to obey him, that we've obeyed his gospel and we want to walk in his light. And when you get around people like that, I can assure you that you'll know they're part of your family. We hold that these people are united in Christ. I'm not ashamed of him. Matthew 10 and 32, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. You're in a room right now of people who are not embarrassed, not ashamed of Jesus Christ and the fact that we are his, his servants. Now, here's number four. We view this, this church. Now, by the way, and, and you probably know this, but the building is not the church, it's the people. We view this church as being a sort of haven, we're, we're in a world right now that is riddled with war. And what you, what you see on, the, on the, the headlines, when you go online, the headline will be something about the war and how many people have died, how many casualties, how, many, how much bloodshed. And, it, and it's awful. It is, it is just so bad. And warnings about coming to our country. And that's really hard to read. And, and I suppose you and I have, have struggled with that through our days lately. But it's not just that. We live in a, in a time in America which, in which immorality has grown to such epidemic, huge proportions that it is just unbelievable. America has never been where it is today about just plain old-fashioned immoral sin, have we? We've never been to the place we are now. I don't know about you, but that's very troubling to me. It's very troubling. And we, we, we know that we live in a dog-eat-dog kind of world. I don't mean that everything is bad, but I just mean that these things are always present. But when you come together in the family of God, when you're part of what you're in this morning with these people, it's a type of haven. It's a type of repose. We we get out of of that. We get away from Now you're in a room of people who love Jesus Christ. Now you, you get in the room of people who are bound together by a love for what is right and what is good and what is eternal. It's a it's a sort of haven. And so 
Galatians 6 and verse 2 says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm telling you, that's not how that is out there. Same chapter, Galatians 2 and verse 10, do good unto all men, especially to them of the household of faith. Uh, chapter 6 and verse 10. In John 16, Jesus said, these things I've spoken unto you, to you that you might have peace. He said, in the world you'll have tribulation. Yeah, that's true. Then he added this, and it's just so good. But be of good cheer, he said. I've overcome the world. The one in whom you and I have placed our confidence. We're here this morning worshiping God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. We've put our confidence in him, says, I've overcome the world. And in me, you're going to have peace. I love peace. I love being in a room that is separate from the world. And I don't mean just we're in this, when we're in this room, but it's part of this family. We understand something about peace. It's a different world right in here, isn't it? We're facing out there. 1 Corinthians 1 and 10 says, I want you Christians to say the same thing, speak the same thing. No divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God to which you are called into one body and your members one of another. We have a, a great youth group here and I don't know, maybe you've already noticed that they're very close friends. And for about 20 years, the, the teenagers sit together and they sit over here on this side. I really wouldn't care what side they sit on. I just like the fact that they sit together and it's down here where I can keep an eye on them. I like that very much. And sometimes, you know, they'll take a notion some Sunday to sit with their parents and that's nice too, but typically they, they sit over here. Keith Anderson just does a great job working with our kids. He's a high school band director, and he's a very faithful Christian. And, and what he likes to say, the way he likes to say it is that, that the youth group for these kids is a safe place. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. They're not perfect, although I think they're pretty close. But it does mean that, that what joins them together is that they love each other in Christ, that, that's, that's what holds them together. And so they're, they're meeting together in the week and they have devotionals and they have singings and they go to be with other kids and Bible bowl things. All sorts of different activities are very common. But, but again, what we want to produce, and I believe have, is a, is a haven for them where the world's full of tribulation, but not here. Not here. We want peace. Philippians 4 and verse 7, peace of God rule in your heart. We want a place of belonging. I, I sometimes will take down my Bible and run the references where you find the one another verses. Romans 12 verse 5, so we being many are one body in Christ and members one of another. Or Romans 12 and verse 10, be kindly affectioned one to another. Or Ephesians 4 and 32, be kind one to another, one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Now, when I talk about this being a haven, I'm I'm not talking about people who are perfect. The Bible Bible is unashamed to say that the Christians sometimes sin. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8, sometimes we do. But we're different. Christians are different because they've repented of their sins. 
Repentance just means to change your mind. And this is a group of people that's changed their minds about sin. And what that means is that we cannot comfortably, we will not comfortably live in sin. So as we're walking through our lives and we realize there's something going on in my life that's just wrong, and I learn from Scripture what is right and wrong, then I set out to fix it. Now, when you, when you want to be, uh, have peace, you get in that group and you'll find it. It's a happy place. This church is, is a group of people that love to be together. Now, when the lights go out, it'll be every service. It's going to be a considerable more time after the service has been over. The worship is over, but people stay a long time. Now, you can just come in here and listen, and what's happened, they'll be all around the auditorium, and you can hear the sound of Christians, the chatter and the laughing and the the sharing. We eat together a lot. We like that. Here's number five. This is a church that believes we can make a real difference for good in children's lives. We, we believe that the right way to raise children is in the Lord and in His church. If you, if you bring a, a student, a child, into this church with you, and every time, and you need to come faithfully. We, we meet on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and on Wednesday evenings. And we have Bible classes on Sunday morning. We have a Bible class on Wednesday night. And so we're here about an hour on Wednesday night. If, if you bring a child to all of those in the course of a year, and if he learns one thing every time he or she gets here, and, and in a Bible class or a worship, learns one thing. In the course of a year, that's 208 things. And if you have that child for 10 years here, what's going to happen is that they're going to learn 2,080 things. There's a difference in children who are raised in the church and children who are not. I, I tell you right now, we are convicted around here that, that we can make a difference in the lives of kids. And the way you do that is by loving them and by filling them up with the Bible. We're going to fill them up with the Word of God. Now, we brought kids sing. That, we manufactured that word. It's just a made-up word, kids sing. But you saw some of what we're doing with them this morning, and now we do that often. We do it every Sunday night. They're learning these things about where things, things are found in the Bible. The Bible is not some mystical, faraway thing to them. They, they know specifics about the Bible because they're growing up with it. They learn it from their parents at home, and they learn it here. Romans 10 and 17 says, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. We're raising them with faith. I, I've always believed that, that children, and particularly teenagers, I think, have moments of time when they have a window of influence that's opened. And it may open several times during their teenage lives. But, but they're, they're going to open that window and be influenced profoundly by the people with whom they're spending time. Was that true about you? Was that true? Can you, can you look back into your teenage years? Can you think about that? And were there people who just had a profound influence on you? And I hope that you've, I hope you've taken the time while they're still living to talk to the ones who made a good impact on your life. I hope you've told them that. What I'm suggesting is that Let's bring our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord 
so that whenever those windows open, they're always going to be around Christian people. They're always going to be around people who love the Lord. Here's number six. It's a benevolent church. It's a benevolent church. Now, we have a deacon. We have a lot of deacons. Each one has his own responsibilities. Each one is funded to carry out his particular role. We live under the shepherds called elders, and we have four of those. But our deacons carry out various different roles, and one of them, his job is taking care of benevolence. Now, you can't just walk up to this building and say, give me money, because that's not how that's going to work. That's not what the Bible teaches. Second Thessalonians 3 and verse 10 says that if a man won't work, neither should he eat. doesn't mean he cannot work. If he cannot work, that's a different matter. But a man who will not work and wants money, I'm sorry, that's not how that's going to work, right? But the, the job of this deacon is to, is to seek out and find the real needs, and he does that. And he makes sure that we do what we can to take care of people and help people, and that's an ongoing thing that happens every week. It happens with individuals, as Christians, that's what we do. We, we help people. And we feel very blessed to be in a position to do that. The elders will often come to us as a church and say, I mean, through the year, course of a year, will come and say, and this is separate from what I've just described, will come and say, there's been a tornado, as you know, over in Georgia, and there, there are people there who are really suffering. And we need to help them, and we'll take up a special collection, and we will send funds to to the church over there so that they can distribute those funds and take care of people and help them. Paul was talking about the buckets. I think this is pretty exciting. You know what's been happening over in Ukraine and the war over there and the bombings. It's a, it's a terrible thing. And so many people have lost their homes. And you say, well, I wish I could help, but I'm, I'm here. It's Ukraine. How, I, how can I help? And the answer is that we just happen to know a faithful Christian who for many years has been taking containers, shipping containers. You know, they're 40 feet long. They're huge shipping containers. And, and his idea was to fill them up with these buckets, these five-gallon buckets. And, and it costs and with, with necessities. Every bucket has the same thing in them and it, and everyone is identical. And it takes about 50 or $60 to fill one up. And, and so they have to be carefully placed. We have a list of things that he suggested that people can use. And, and somebody, I talked to a brother yesterday who said that his job yesterday when they were working on buckets was the placement of the items. Because if you just pile them in there, it's just too much. So it has to, it's like a puzzle. And you put them in there and you, you put that lid down hard. And, uh, and on, on Wednesday, they're going to Ukraine. And, and so... This is all voluntary. We just put a bunch of buckets by each door, and people pick them up and fill them up, and that's how that works. And we're going to send about 200 this time. We've done it various times. Sometimes, sometimes we've collected toothpaste for the prison at Limestone Correctional Facility. We found out that they, they don't have good toothpaste there. And so we've done this several times where we'll just say we're going to have a toothpaste drive, and we put a table out there, and then we just have hundreds of tubes of toothpaste, and we put little stickers on them. It says, from your friends, West Huntsville Church of Christ. We're always going to be about that. I just want you to know that this is a benevolent church. This is a church that believes in helping people, and it's going on all the time. Now, you, you must consider the answer to the question of who is the greatest, greatest recipient when benevolence like that happens, when you care for people and help them, who gets the most good? 
That's an interesting question to think about. Now, here's the last one. Number seven, let me tell you about this church. This is a morally conservative church. We, we don't believe. How should I say this? Uh, I, I like the old phrase, and maybe you've heard this before, that the church is not a museum for the saints. It's a hospital for sinners. I think there's merit to that statement. I think that's right. I would just add an extra line to it if it were me. Neither is it a museum for sinners. What I mean by that is that that we're not doing anybody any favors if we meet week after week and and we don't talk about morality or, or what the Bible says, the specifics about what is right and what is wrong about morality. And so when you come here, there are going to be sermons and it's going to be very plain. It has to be very plain because we care about people. And our young people need to always be hearing the difference between right and wrong. Isn't that true? And so where, what you, where you're at today is a congregation of people that are morally conservative, and we don't shy back from talking about what the Bible has to say about moral issues. And maybe the question would come, are, are you inclusive? Are you an inclusive church? The answer to that is, well, depending on what you mean, of course we are. Laurie said we're very diverse. But I would like to answer it this way. This church is hopefully as inclusive about these kinds of matters as the New Testament is. That's where I want to be. I want to be where the Lord wants us to be. Ultimately, he's going to be the judge, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, and we're all going to be before him in the judgment. I I want to be as inclusive as he is. And the church has always been inclusive in the sense that anybody's welcome. I just don't want you to think that that people are going to be accepted when they want to continue in their sin. They're going to hear about that. We're going to preach about that. So, for example, here's 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he gets very specific. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. You won't go to heaven that way. But now listen to the next verse. Enjoy this with me. And such were some of you. He's talking to the Christians at Corinth. Such were some of you. But you've been washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. It doesn't mean that that their sins were washed so they could keep on doing them. It It means that they were they were taught and they repented and they left the sinful wickedness and they did what was right. Now, that favor, that's what we should is teaching about that. Now, there are my seven things. There's so much more. But what I really want is for you to have a pleasant experience visiting our assembly today. I hope that you are educated more about who we are I hope this brief time has been beneficial. Now, in a, in a few minutes, we're going to close this service, and we'll take, a, I don't know, a 10 or something minute water fountain bathroom break, and we'll have our Bible classes. We have Bible classes for children. There'll be a class in here, and I'm going to teach that class. And what I want to do in class is to uh, give you a bird's eye view of the Bible. By that I mean, I want to, I want to start in Genesis and go to Revelation. It's not going to be a long class, 35 minutes or something like that. But we're going to just take a bird's eye view because I think a lot of people 
would sort of enjoy having some feel for what the Bible is about, what's it about, and so we'll do that. We'll walk right through it and, and give you a great handle, a better handle on, on what the book is really about. And so we'll start that in a few minutes in this auditorium. At the end of every sermon, we always make our practice, we don't have to do this, but we choose to do it, to ask if anybody wants to become a Christian. And if there's someone here this morning who's been studying about that, you know what the Bible says, you want to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're ready to repent of your sins and confess Jesus. I believe that Jesus is God's son and to be immersed in water. The Bible says that that's for the forgiveness of our sins. We'll be so happy to assist you. And if there's anybody who needs prayers, you want the church to pray for you, why come down and sit on one of these seats down here and I'll meet you down here and we will be happy to pray with you and for you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.